mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am just so... Because the word so is a word that I have always associated with today's guest. And it's a slightly unusual episode because, firstly, you and I are now officially published authors, which is just kind of shocking and exciting and just so. But also, our guest today is actually going to be turning the tables on us, on Talk Art, and interviewing us a bit about this wondrous event of us being published authors and the Talk Art book finally being released this week. I have been a big fan of his for a long, long time, obviously Mm -hmm. watching him since the early days. To be really honest, I first saw him when he was doing Carnal Knowledge, which was like a a kind of hilarious TV show late at night, which I loved. It was wild. And um, anyway, I've also went to his 50th birthday once and spent a long time crushing over Peter Kyle, who's a politician. And um, that was <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, it's true. He's a Labour MP and I loved him. He was like, <laughs> he really cared about everyone. He was amazing. So that was a hilarious personal anecdote. Yeah, so we, we are going to turn the tables on Talk Art and we are going to get some questions to us. He is a, a leading interviewer, probably the best interviewer in the UK. And everyone will know him. So he's a household tre- national treasure. Mm. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art Turning the tables on talk art, Mr. Graham, Graham Norton. Beautifully done. First question, Robert. How are you at my 50th birthday party? <laughs> we have a mutual friend, um, Tim. Tim Lord? Yes, Tim Lord. And oh, I came as right. Tim's guest. Oh, and um, yeah, and we're, we're like good mates. I haven't actually seen him for about a year and a half or something, but you know, because of COVID and everything. But yeah, no, we're, we're friends. And I know his sister really well. And when I go to Hong Kong, I stay at his sister's house and stuff like that. Posh. Yeah, very nice posh. House. Good nice view. House. Yeah, 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 mm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he brought me along and I just remember that evening I had such a laugh. And trying to sleep with all the MPs. I wasn't trying 50th. to sleep with him. I just was really like crushing because he was so like sweet and cared about everyone. It was a nice, he's a nice guy. Oh. You think he'd be prime minister by now, don't you? Because he's, you know... And I thought I was going to be like first lady. I had this like idea that he was going to be prime minister and I could be like... Hey, don't don't close the page on that book, Robert. There's still time. <laughs> He's still out there. He's still out there. Yeah. Uh, congratulations, boys. Look at you. Here it is. Look, the poppy pink book. Love uh, I, you can just sort of see it now on tables in in gallery bookshops all over <laughs> all over the world. Mm. Uh, congratulations. Thank you so and much. It's, Thank you. And obviously, the two of you could kind of talk to each other about the book in a kind of circle jerk of self-congratulations <laughs> but uh, I thought like a, a steps dance move I'd give you both a hand and uh, let you <laughs> let you talk about the book talk art is the name of the book and I mean how do you describe it because it's not it's not quite a beginner's guide it's sort of just a little bit beyond that so who do you imagine uh, buying this book loving this book finding it useful I think we wanted to find, thank you for that, Graham. I think we wanted to find um, a kind of sweet spot that was where we're at in the art world, where, where we see kind of the, our kind of adventure and journey into where we're at to now, but also as a confidence building uh, book for people that are starting out. And we hope it isn't, it, we just kind of want that sweet spot, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, and I think we liked the idea of including artists that might not have been in books yet and artists that to us are like, 
kind of gods and we adore them, but like they're not necessarily household names yet. They're kind of mm. either literally in the last year or so started to rise very rapidly because there's this weird thing in the art market now where artists can be completely unknown and then a year later their paintings are selling for like £300,000 and you can't afford them. It's like bizarre. Mm. But some of them like so extraordinary and they, they feel like old friends or something, but you've only known about their work for a year. So I think it was important to sort of, instead of just making a book that, you know, had all the things we know, like whether that be Damien Hurst in the UK or, you know, or even people that we've had on the show, like a lot of those guests, they're kind of already known in books. And I wanted to really include people that, that we'd never seen before, kind of new voices and different perspectives. Yeah, no, it certainly introduced me to artists I'd, I'd never heard of or seen before. So thank you for that. Uh, the other thing it did for me, because I always wondered, like, I, I do own art, and but I've never felt like a collector. And I always wondered why that was. And then I read your book and I realised why. It's because I'm not a collector. You guys are collectors. It's in you. Like, when you were kids... You collected stuff. Robert, mm. you did all the kind of pop ephemera and stuff. And Russell, you just collected any old shit. I mean, you just, <laughs> if it wasn't nailed down, I'll collect it. That's true. That is, that is kind of true. But, 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 you, but, but why, do you, why do you buy art then, Graham? What do you think it is in you that wants to... Because you have pieces in your house. I do. And part of it is, I mean, is I like, I like looking at them. You know, I like lovely things in the house. And there is a... And I, I wanted to talk to you. I was going to talk to you about this later, but actually we might as well talk about it now. What do you think, both of you, is that transformative thing that happens in possession? What is the difference between looking at a piece of art and then owning it? What does that do to your relationship to the art? I, th I think for me... I, when, I remember when I was a young kid and when you would start collecting things. So I used to collect things like even like garbage pail kids cards, those kind of weird like Stickers cartoony things, cards. Yeah. And I was also obsessed with like Cabbage Patch dolls at one point. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't collect them, but I was obsessed with them. And I Don't think tell me, Peter Kyle that. It's a real turn off. <laughs> he, he, won't, he won't want to know that. He'll love it. You've just got to be yourself, Graham. But, um, but I, I really remember like when you would get the whole set, there was something about this completest kind of thing of like having the full set. And I used to feel a real strength from the ownership. And it was almost like somehow you would have magical powers or, or strength to be stronger in the world by the things that you would surround yourself with. And I remember like filling my bedrooms with like... Um, you know, so I moved through the house into different rooms as I grew up. But like, I remember all the way through my childhood, I would like fill every single space in the room, um, every wall. At one point, I even covered the ceiling and things like it was really quite crazy. Yeah. But I think there was some sense of like protection. And also it sort of gives you strength being around these these objects of power or something. Mm, I was exactly the same. I think I at one point I was obsessed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I think is a, a, a notch up from the Cabbage Patch Dolls. Sorry, Rob, but I had <laughs> I had everything. That's hot. That's really hot. <laughs> I had everything. Like I remember I went to Woolworths and they had like a turtle sign that you buy the toys, and I had I'd got that from Woolworths when that like the show had come down, and then I had that up in my window. I was obsessed, but I I don't know what it is because my brother has no. We know we grew up in the same house. He has no affinity to being surrounded by stuff. He doesn't need to collect. He doesn't have any of that bug. So I don't know if it's like this thing where you want to take care and protect. And it's a curating thing, I think, because I liked placing things around the room and then moving them to somewhere else and the balance and everything. I don't, I don't know what it is. There is definitely some kind of like uh, Freudian way of looking into collectors, but I don't know if it's that um, complimentary. <laughs> we, were, we were talking the other day to a younger artist called Mandy El Saig and she was talking about when she was growing up she had a stamp collection and she used to go on hot family holidays and take the whole stamp collection with her on the holidays even though it was really bad for the stamps because of all the humidity and all that stuff and it got me remembering that I used to when I was in, uh, a young kind of songwriter I started travelling a lot to America and Canada and I used to take the whole of my record collection on CD with me abroad but it would be like 200 CDs and I'd take the whole lot with me in my suitcases and I carried them around and it would be like I needed to have them with me it's really mm. mental though it's mm. like why did I do that that is extraordinary that that yes I'm not a collector <laughs> I'm not I'm not a collector you don't have any affinity with anything we're yeah. saying right now no uh, so in the book you you kind of uh, dip into various uh, areas of contemporary art and then I think it's really interesting the the stuff at the back where you talk about really how 
how to approach art and how to engage with art because it is kind of off-putting. And I think the, the, the very first thing you talk about is how to go into a gallery, which sounds ridiculous, but it is intimidating. It is, you know, just opening that door. Your trainers are going to squeak on the floor. It's, it's all of that. Uh, uh, talk, talk to the listeners about that. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I think we wanted to write about our experiences in this book because we wanted to share that experience with with the reader. The fact is that the art world does feel intimidating. It does feel like a members club. It does feel like it's designed in some ways to shut you out. But the reality is, is that galleries want people in there. Galleries want audiences. Artists are making work, not just for collectors, not just for like art world people. They want to connect to the public. They want that audience. So this book is about, you know, again, what I said at the beginning about confidence building. It's giving people confidence to take a step in, to go through the threshold of that gallery door where they feel intimidated and know that it is there for them because art is for everyone. And if art is just made work for collectors, then what it's, it's so kind of, it's an echo chamber, isn't it? And yes. they're referencing life. Definitely. I also think there's a real theatricality to the art world that no one necessarily realises is theatre because it's de- it's kind of deliberate, this idea of the white cube, you know, like a white empty room that then you you sort of like hang these godly objects on the wall and somehow they're, they're suddenly worth loads of money because, they're you know, they're, they're kind of imbued with this sense of like elevated greatness or something. And there's definitely, I've had experiences in the past where like, for example, I now run Carl Friedman Gallery and I couldn't enter Carl's Gallery for about two years because I didn't have the guts to go indoors years and years ago when I was about 25 or something. I used to go to the front door mm. or we never quite knew which bell to ring and would look at the kind of windows and the windows were all um like it had like a kind of film on them that you couldn't see what was inside so I wasn't sure whether this huge building which it turns out it wasn't the whole gallery but in my head it was this giant building mm. of like a huge gallery and I was so scared I never went in so I mean that's ridiculous because I'm now the director of the gallery like but originally I, think, I, yeah. I was scared to go in I think I used to go into galleries you'd open the door and be like can I come in is that all right and they'd be like yeah and at the time you feel like, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm taking up your space and I do want to look at the art and I am genuine, but you have you feel like you're apologizing for taking up that space. And totally. as you get older, you go, oh no, you open the door and you're like, hello. And you're in this like, but that I takes... used to have a real fear as well of like um, writing in the notebook, like in, in the guest book yes. that they have on the front desk, because you'd see it and it would say like someone really well known or something, you know, maybe like, I don't know who it was at the time, but maybe someone like Charles Saatchi back in the day. And you'd see his name there and I'd just be like, oh my God, I can't write my name there. Or then you worry about your handwriting and what that's going to look like. Or I don't know, it was just so awkward. And They're going to be offended that you considered that you were worthy of writing your name <laughs> so in that ridiculous. guest book. ridiculous, yeah. because all they want is your email so they can keep you updated. But the whole kind of structures are so opaque in a way. It's hilarious. And it's also, I think it's really interesting to think, like, of course they want you in because working in a posh gallery must be one of the most boring (laughs) jobs. So, you know, they don't care if you're going to buy anything. They just, you know, they just want to say hello, see a a different face. Being on the front desk, maybe, um, (laughs) is a a tough job, I think. Because it's so much like, it's quite meditative in a way. It's very silent as well. And that (laughs) silence is so terrifying as a visitor. It's a church, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you talk about that in the book, the, mm. that, the, the kind of churchy vibe of, of lots of galleries. Mm. Um, the other thing I think is if you get on those mailing lists, you know, you probably will get invited to openings. And things. So they, a lot of those, you know, that's free wine. There might be mm. a canopy or something. You know, those, I think that's a, a good thing. It's, a, it's nice to combine that with, with the art. Absolutely. And, and in the, the book, you talk about um, uh, the auction houses. And I think that those are great exhibitions and people don't really know they don't really advertise them the the previews mm. of the huge big contemporary sales where you can see things that once they're sold are gone they yeah. won't they won't be in a gallery they won't be anywhere so it, i think they're amazing do you guys you must go to all of those yeah i i've just guest curated a sotheby's uh contemporary sale and that's so that and that's something exactly why uh we were interested in and I'm interested in doing that is because you do you see these previews and a lot of these works were sold primary so they were never some of them were sold direct from an artist studio and they went through the gallery and then they were sold so they were never shown in exhibitions they might never been photographed in books and suddenly they're appearing at auction and you're right they will be there and then they just disappear but these preview days are so brilliant because 
there's no hierarchy when you go to these previews and you could be looking at a work of art that is like valued like an estimate five to ten million next to a work that's like a thousand pounds to two thousand pounds and they're they're just placed together because it's a preview and you're seeing everything and it's like a, a job lot of everything and it's such a great way to look at art because you're not being told this is important this isn't important uh, unless you're looking at like the estimates and you think, oh, okay, well, the money is what makes it important. But if you take that away, you're really experiencing like different like um, periods of history within art in one room so easily. Yeah, and they do try and curate, you know, those those presentations to try and bring out links between the works. But the thing that's so extraordinary about it and odd in a way is that those works are so random. It's just like a kind of Russian roulette almost, just totally mm. random what ends up in the, that room because it's whatever people are willing to sell at that point or if someone's died or what have you. And it's a really unusual sort of premise to begin an exhibition. And in that sense, it's quite enjoyable too because you're going to see such a range of of artists and from all over the world it could be you know art so kind of international now the the audience for it particularly at auctions so you might see all these different artifacts but one of the things I didn't know until recently is that auction houses apparently really like you to be able to like touch the works and actually like take them off the wall and look at the back of the frame to see all the stickers (laughs) and apparently apparently, (laughs) it's true I was told the other day Robert's in jail now (laughs) (laughs) no but maybe you have to have someone with you but I think you are allowed to like actually like have an interaction with with the objects and at print print sales for example at a more affordable level you can go to like print fairs at Bonhams or Christie's or Phillips or you know all these different auction houses and apparently you can actually put on gloves and like hold the prints and look at the prints and turn them around and and sort of inspect the condition of them and I quite like that idea because it's free to get in as well and you can go in and kind of actually see the materiality of these objects Mm. and also the romance of like stickers on the back of frames and like all the exhibitions they might have been in I think that's something that Russell and I love love Um, and you talk about, you know, the prints of multiple uh, prints there, and that is a kind of a real entree for people into collecting because it's affordable. But I think there is that terror, isn't there, as a first-time buyer of, you know, am I being ripped off? You know, yeah. is this I saw you Um What advice do you have for people for in, in that moment? Because I know both of you kind of, you really went for it. You saved up and you bought something really great but how did you know that it it was worth what you were paying um all of that i just think there's i think if you know you've just got to trust what you like i mean it's an old age saying that they say just buy what you love but the thing is you've got to work out what your budget is uh but sometimes you know most of the time if you're following an artist or you're following a style of art or certain exhibitions then it sort of leads you down the estuary to where you want to find that artwork, I think. Um, you know, I don't know many people, some people do, and they sit out and go, right, I want to buy a piece of art now, what do I buy? And that's fantastic, but I think a lot of people who are buying have been looking, actively looking, and you do so much more now with Instagram, with all the kind of the uh, gallery mail-outs and stuff, is that you can really be in touch with what's going on. I think it's really important to take your time and definitely always listen to your kind of instincts because like for today, for example, there's a young painter I'm really interested in and I was sending it to Russell and to two of my other friends saying like, you know, I can't work out whether I should you know, buy this or not. And they were like, but why are you asking us? Like, if you if you like it, you would know. And I was like, why am I asking them? Like, you know, I'm a gallerist, I should know. But even I don't know sometimes. And it's like, you sometimes need the confidence to make that step. And this work isn't even that expensive, but there's something about the work that isn't, right for me or something and I think that's why I was asking so I've kind of had to remind myself you do just have to think deep down like do you really want this like is it something you feel passionate about and in a way I think the price you have to be reasonable and it should be within your your reach if you know what I mean never like push yourself too far above you know what you can afford because that's just kind of stupid but I think if you can afford it and you love it enough then that's the right price do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like that's the most important thing, really. But, you know, Russell's been advising, you know, well-known people that are friends of his. Um, and actually, one of them is on our audio book um, as, as an interview at the end of that audio book with James Corden. And I think Russ is really trying to encourage James to, like, to, you know, think about supporting younger artists rather than the big names, because he's obviously friends with Damien Hurst or has a Tracy Emin and all these kind of well-known artists. But it's really exciting to try and support artists when the painting might be £1,000 and to find an artist at that level that you passionately love. Because actually, by investing in that artist so early on, um, 
you, you will end up probably getting a great investment. But more importantly, you're actually helping spur that artist forward. And it's such an enjoyable place to be in, like in that emerging mid-career market. Like, and that's the reason I, I do that as a job now, because it's so invigorating and exciting to kind of be there at the beginning, you know. Uh, you talk in the book about, uh, you know, buying what you love, buying what you love, but don't be disappointed or don't be uh, afraid of admitting that actually you've fallen out of love with something, that mm. actually you don't you don't want to see that every day anymore. Um, do you guys sell stuff? Do you do you does your collection shift or do you are you just kind of like no more more? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's an addiction, so there is that more more thing. And I mean, just referencing what Rob was just saying about you know don't push yourself out of your budget. I mean, I have pushed myself out of my budget, but they have these wonderful things where they set up payment plans where you suddenly, if you really get on well with a gallery and you trust each other and you're really supportive and honest you can go right can I have six months or even a year to pay this off That's and true, sometimes yeah. they're like yeah so in some ways you go okay the call that breaks it down and there's these amazing initiatives that have been set up where they do uh interest-free loans from uh, who is it Rob is it own is art, it art fund? own art it's through the arts council I think through the arts council so you can buy works of art under a certain value and then you just pay it back monthly without interest with so no interest there's That's lots amazing. Of, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. yeah. So and actually, really one of good. the first artworks I ever bought was a photograph. Um, I recently donated it to the Tate. You're still paying it nowhere, off. Yeah. Nowhere to put it. <laughs> nowhere. But I, I paid for it in about a year and a half because it was at the time like £4,000 or something and I just didn't have the money. So I paid a really small amount every month. And that kind of almost broke me. So I'm actually giving wrong advice earlier. But, but yeah, I, you, you can do well, that. Well, you've just donated that to the Tate, haven't you? I've so given it give, to the Tate. And you've yeah, given but, it back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've given it back. Yeah, because I just can't yes. live with it. It's too big. But, but I mean, if yeah. work moves, if work stops moving you, or you're not as kind of excited about it anymore, I mean, if you have lots of others, you can replace that position on the wall, I guess, or wherever you live with it. I have storage. I, I'm, you know, I'm an addict, and I have like that everywhere and cupboards are full of pictures so I sort of end up forgetting sometimes what I've got and then you open a cupboard you're like oh I love that and then you put it back up and it's and that's it's going to change because as people we change and so much of an art collection when people are authentically collecting it kind of is like a self-portrait because uh, it and it also is like a timeline for your life. Every time I've done a, a job and, and I've got some good money for it, I will buy a work of art, and so I can look at look at certain things in my house and my collection and go like, oh, that's when I did that film. That's when I did that play. That's when I did. That's when I was in New York doing that, and it it kind of charts your life. So you end up getting kind of emotionally attached. So it's quite hard to part with things. I think it's really important to realise as well that because of that personal nature of you choosing something, at least for me and Russell, I think, they're almost like friends or something, these artworks. They're kind of like, and, and they do reflect sort of emotions that you've had at very specific times in your life. And I've got one work by a really well-known artist that some weeks I can't stand it. And I think it's like the worst thing anyone's yeah. ever made. And then other weeks I'm like madly in love with it. Yes. And recently I'm hanging it up again in the house in Margate because I'm like, I've fallen in love with it. I see it's genius. And sometimes as well, like artists work later on like when they when they get older and they start to make different kinds of work, suddenly the earlier work makes total sense because it needed all that time, you know, maybe 20 years in between those works for you to suddenly understand what the artist was aiming at or doing at that point. It's like almost like a seed to like a later yeah. idea or something. But also and you can see new work in a gallery. You can go to a museum and see an artist's work and they've referenced the artist that you collect or vice versa. And suddenly it suddenly opens it up for you again. And you're like, yeah. oh, wow, I didn't even know that that was who this artist was looking at or referencing. Wow. And that 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 is really exciting because it's constantly giving you something new to see in it. Yeah, like recontextualizing it, putting it in a different light, definitely. Yeah. And that happens all the time now because there's so many amazing people. We were talking the other day about poetry and how like certain poets, when they when they arrive new on the scene, the way they put words together totally changes your, your sense of a word or the meaning mm. or the way you feel about something, even though it's the same language, essentially, the same words. And that's definitely true with curating and like the way that you can um, hang different art, even in your house. Like in this room in my kitchen, like I've got a, a print, I've got a unique painting, I've got a postcard. And those three things, even the ceramics on the fireplace behind me, like they're all interacting with each other in a way that never existed before. And it is really like a kind of conversation between mm. objects, which might sound mad, but I think it's it's a really cool thing. And you also, in the book, you, you talk about how a collection, a good collection, should have personality. Like you were talking about, you know, that, that 
you should be able to know, you know, kind of through the keyhole, who who collected <laughs> this. It should tell the viewer something about who collected it all. I think, yeah, definitely. And I think especially of me and Rob is that I will see an artist's work and I'll be like, Rob, you're going to love this and vice versa. So you get to know each other's tastes and I can then, as we're trying to encourage all of our friends to buy art, which they are, and to the, you know, the detriment to us, they're like really angry about it because they're now getting the bug as well. But you're able to spot <laughs> artists' work and, and certain prints and editions and go, you're going to really like this. This is really going to appeal to you. But it definitely is a very personal take on the world is what you if you authentically collect yeah definitely I remember going to LA about 10 years ago when I first started working at the gallery and I went to they had these kind of like patrons trips where you'd go to all these really wealthy people's homes and a lot of them had the most extraordinary everything do you know what I mean like amazing tables amazing chairs amazing everything and then the art was the same in every single house they all had like a John Baldessari they all had like whoever it was you know every painting was mm. the same and I was like where, where where are these people getting their art and it turns out they all have the same art advisor and I think they're all just like buying what they're told mm. and that to me is fine because that's part of the art market but that's not what I'm interested in like, I'm interested in people that actually have feelings and emotions and passions and joys. And, you know, and it, you don't have to be a collector to live with art. That's the other thing. I think, you know, buying, going to a shop and finding, I don't know, a print by a local artist, if it means something to you, do it. Because mm. living with art is like having a window into another world or it can just take you into a moment of pause and reflection and it can kind of add to your life. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Like I read somewhere, Graham, that you collect, I read in a Guardian interview that you collect Keith Herring and that a part, it was like one of the most extravagant things you'd bought or something. So for example, like wh why did you choose Keith Herring? Now, see, you're trying to interview me. That's not happening. It's not going to happen because... <laughs> no, because I said to Russell, said I world. said to Russell, I won't go on to talk, talk about art because I, I don't, want, I don't want to sound like a complete wanker. You know, I, I mean, Robert, I've heard you on this podcast that use the word oeuvre unironically and I, thought, I, don't, I, I, thought, I don't want that to be me <laughs> oh that's hilarious no, uh, no I've to say, I the talking of that that I went to see um uh, one of those freeze art fairs and there was a gallery in Bristol and they were showing on their booth in the freeze they were showing the collection of you know Charlotte something some woman and it was a really interesting collection lots of small pieces and there were some ceramics and you're going around and then there's a picture of the Pope and then there's like, the, and it was his mother's art collection. It was every bit of decorative art from his mother's house. No way. At Freeze. And it was fascinating. Exactly what you're talking about. You know, if it's a postcard, if it means something to you, it became kind of high art because of where he'd put it. But it was his mother's collection over kind of 40, 50 years. Wow. Well, it's oh, like the really ready-made, cool. isn't it? I guess that's like... Uh, art imitating life, life imitating art, really. Look at Tracy Emin's bed. It's like that was her bed. And she looked at it one day and went, this is beautiful. And it references a lot of art history, how the bed has appeared throughout art history. And then putting that in a gallery space, suddenly it's recontextualized. And you're looking at that as an art object because it's in the white cube. And also like women's experience and like her yeah. experience. It was yeah. a really profoundly deep work, actually. Yeah. And I still think it hasn't quite been understood, actually. But it's interesting. But that thing we're talking about—a a context, you know, where you see something, you you look at it differently, you know. Yeah. And in terms of you know grubby money and and value and things, are you guys now in a position to affect an artist's worth or value? You know, if you guys are collecting them, uh, or if they're in this book, is that going to move them? I would say yes. But go tell me, what do I you don't think? think I, I think what what we've always 
wanted to do and what we're always going to continue to do is support emerging artists. That's the big passion for us is really encouraging them forwards and by using our platform and profile to support them and raise awareness and amplify their messages and their work, that feels really exciting. And if people are discovering these artists through us, we're the conduit to them having a further kind of like a show or other people collecting, then that is an absolute privilege. There is nothing kind of in what we're doing to... Um, like uh, what do you call it when you try and raise an artist's price at auction or whatever there's no sort of insider dealing tradings going yeah. like right let's get this artist <laughs> on and then you buy it and I buy it no. there's none, none of that all we want to do is build up uh, like basically curate a show that really recognises the most exciting to us and what we think for everyone else voices in contemporary art and who are around the art world today we we kind of like what we did at the start of lockdown was something really amazing is that we just went into lockdown ourselves and just interviewed everybody because we knew where everybody was and suddenly people weren't able to like go oh i'm, I'm a bit busy it's like you're not you're locked down you're available and even we, elton john even elton john but we ended up having this kind of time capsule for this moment in history so people can look back at that that period of talk art which we called quar tunes and quar tunes and it's like that time in history is now going to be kind of held there for this little reference of what that was what how artists were coping how collectors how singers actors like curators directors were coping with that period through art and also i don't think you can i don't think one person can actually make or break someone's career really i I think the most important thing is that we've somehow created this platform where people can speak and it's like about conversation and it's not about going on a radio show where you you advertise something for two minutes or something it's like an hour and a half conversation and in that time you know the real person is going to be revealed because it's 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 way too relaxed and and we also get really into like their childhoods and emotional states and things mm. which have nothing to do with the art market and i would actually argue that like most people that are interested in bidding at auctions and making things go expensive are not listening to talk art i think the, <laughs> the majority of people listening to talk art are like creative thinkers like graphic designers artists writers musicians like there are the people that are reaching out to us actors and one of the things that i get such joy from is actually talking to people that aren't artists and and finding out, trying to trying to analyze why people are connected to art, what what this magical thing is, because mm. I don't understand it, and you, you can't put it into words. And I think somehow by doing these conversations, we're trying to get to the the root of why we quest. need to create as human beings. And when you quest, spoke earlier it, about yeah, quest, yeah. And when you spoke earlier about um, religion, like one of the reasons I love Tracy beginning in the early days was that that phrase she had of like, I need art, like I need God. And this kind of like idea of like, we need this, you know, to survive, to to push through. And it was interesting in the lockdown to hear how people were responding to art without the galleries being open and museums being open. And that return to like notepads and people drawing who weren't artists, you know. And that's what I think is important beyond the art market. It's like creating to survive and to fight trauma and to get through things. And tell me this, you know, Talk Art, obviously big success now, it's a book, but you started the podcast, I mean, now, you know, any fucker with electricity and Wi-Fi has a podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but back in 2018, you were pioneers. Uh, So what, what, what made your passion, you know, both of you, obviously you shared this passion for contemporary art, what made you turn it into a podcast? Because it's a commitment and it's probably a thing that, you know, both of you could live without. Mm. It was our mums. Our mums. Mm. Aww. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we we did. Uh, Rob got invited to do a podcast about collecting, and uh, it, because of the print making company Counter Editions, and he said, "Shall I bring Russell along because he's bought prints, and we can talk about it?" And there was these two interviewers who were meant to be interviewing us, and they didn't ask any questions. Me and Rob just basically <laughs> talked at each other for like forty five minutes, and it went out. And both of our mums went, "Wow, we've learned more about what it is." That you're, what this art thing is for you guys in that 45 minutes than we have ever before. You need to and do also, this Russ, more. Though, I think you and I realised what we had. I don't think you and yeah. I had acknowledged that we had this friendship. Like, a friend, we acknowledged we had a friendship, but we didn't realise we had this kind of obsession of talking about art every day. You know, mm. we text each other, we call each other, we email each other, we video each other, we like constantly film each other, like on, on WhatsApp, you know, sending each other, if we're at an exhibition, we'll send a video of it, you know, all that mm. kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't think I'd realised that bond we had and it kind of shocked me and then it was so odd that you were like okay let's do it because I remember being like why would Russell want to do a podcast because he's an actor and it's kind of like 
it didn't make sense to me somehow. Mm. Well, and you didn't we know what podcast out. was to begin with. You no, were I didn't even know what it was. Until, I don't know what it is. Well, it's I said like that a radio to you. Show, yeah. When we went on Thought Starters, the actual yeah. first one we did, I had no idea what we were doing. And I, did, yeah. I said, I think podcasts go out free. I didn't know. And it was kind of an accident that turned into this amazing adventure because both of us love learning as well. And I think this is like free education. It's a bit like mm. we've gone back to university, or for me anyway. Um, and Russell's kind of doing his BA or, or master's or something. Because it's a bit like having visiting lectures. And and the first one we did with Michael Craig Martin was like a two-hour conversation and we edited it down to like an hour and we just couldn't edit it any shorter. And all the people around us were like, you need to like make it 15 minutes, 20 minutes, mm. 30 minutes. You'll never succeed, all this stuff. And in the end, we were like, screw it. Let's just do what we want to do. And that's the joy of podcasts because it is like this wild west where you can just create and be free. And over the, the years, you've spoken to so many of your heroes. And, you know, and artists are quite, you know, individual people they're quite unique people have any of them disappointed you or did any of the, did any did talking to any of them make you not like their art anymore hilarious <laughs> uh i mean that is that is the nightmare if you love an artist's <laughs> work and then you meet them you're like oh yeah, like, no never meet your heroes, oh, no. yeah. but you know some artists can't so yes the, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> not in this not in, not in tour yeah. cars instance for That's sale in life. <laughs> actually no 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 honestly just I can say not, in not in tour car not tour in tour car has actually been but you know so, for nowadays it's a weird thing that artists have to be articulate about their work in the old days you never saw the artist's face the art was there the dealer the kind of people around it would talk about the art, the curator, the museum, but you'd never really hear from the artist. And now artists are supposed to like be up and running, have all their vocabulary in place, have all their kind of clarity, articulation, diction about the work, know all about the practice and be able to be out there speaking about it front and centre. And that's, you know, some people just can't talk about the art and they, they put all their emotions into making the art. So suddenly yeah. it's like then they have to talk about it. It's, it's really tough for them. So we've had lots of people say, I don't want to come and talk art. Thank you so much. I'm really privileged you asked me, but I can't, I don't want to talk about it. I can't talk about it. There's a kind of, there's a fear, you know, and it's it's a lot to talk about. And there's a few that actually like listen to the show every week, but still won't come on because yeah. they don't feel they can, you know, be as eloquent almost as, as other artists or they don't want to be connected to their art in that sense. They want the art just to be its own thing. And that's, as far as it, it goes. But sometimes when we have really good interviews, I, I, I get the same endorphin rush as I do from having a really good show on stage. If I've come off and I'm like, the audience were great there. When we've had these really connective chats and it's revealed a lot and we've got something kind of profound out of our interviews... I feel so proud and excited by it that I'm just buzzing for the whole night afterwards. And we get on the phone and we're like, oh my God, that was so good and this was so great. And this, this, it feels really exciting because we think that's going to be such a gift to put out there on the Talk Art roster. How brilliant is that that we've now got this edition? I was just going to say, you know, you're right, the art should speak for itself. But God, when an artist is articulate, when an artist can really talk about their work, it opens it up. I mean, it's just phenomenal the difference mm. it makes. And in a way, I wanted to go back to to that, the person who, you know, presses the bell on the gallery as, you know, they've picked up the courage, they've gone in. How do you then, and I think it's, it's a kind of an important thing if you're going to collect art, how do you then learn how to talk about it? How do you learn that vocabulary? What questions do you ask? I mean, obviously you listen to Talk Art, the podcast, but what else do you listen to? Where else do you go to find the vocabulary and, and the questions? I think a lot of it is reading, actually, and also just constantly researching. Because you can't... The, the thing that I find is a lot of people, when I used to say I work in the art world, or even just when I was collecting art, they immediately don't want to talk to you. They, you I go to dinner parties and people, like, literally turn the other way and change the topic. That's because the they Cabbage feel Patch like, Kids thing. That's, that's, <laughs> you keep bringing it up. <laughs> no one's interested. But they feel immediately like, oh, I don't know about this. I can't connect to this person. So... And I think when they go into that gallery, sometimes they're like, well, I should know the answers. I don't understand what this is. Therefore, I'm going to not be interested. It's all rubbish. But actually, it takes time. Like, it's a bit like if you're learning French, you know, for the first time at school, you're not going to be able to speak French after a week. You, you kind of need to keep seeing things. And... I think these days we are beginning to realise consciously more about looking because things like Instagram have taken off and we're looking at images all the time. But sometimes it's good to slow down and actually try and work out what this language is. And it might take you like three, four exhibitions by that artist mm. before you even say you like it or get it or connect to it. And it's not easy. It is a bit of a 
kind of adventure that you might need to commit to on some level. But I think the reason it's worth it is because in doing that, in teaching yourself like by, by, by looking, you're going to learn something about your own experience and your position in the world. And I think we all have a responsibility to sort of take care of our own interiors and like actually think about like, you know, our place in the world in order to be a good person in, in the universe and not just, you know what I mean? Like, I think therapy and all that kind of stuff is really important, but like, I think you can get a lot from it in, in that sense, from, from experiencing art and connecting to art. And Russell, in terms of, you know, asking a question and not wanting to feel foolish. What are good, you know, like, uh, what are good basic questions to ask? Because I, you, because I, I, you, you speak differently. I hear you on the podcast talking about, you know, your practice, you know, <laughs> like you're talking to a doctor. And I'm thinking, oh, that's obviously, a, that's obviously a, a gallery thing. Uh, <laughs> I would never talk to someone about their practice, but obviously that's the correct word to use. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that. How did you find that out? From, trial and error probably from someone <laughs> correcting me what I say but I think when you're in a gallery the good questions to ask are where is this artist from I mean a lot of times that's really interesting because suddenly that opens up uh, conversations geographically about why the artist is making the work are they from a, a politically p- political situation where they're making this work is it kind of politically charged or are they you know that that's a really interesting way to start a conversation um, a lot of artists a lot of questions about age is kind of a thing uh gender you know it's there's 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 ways that like you want you want to look at the work uh without any of these things that's when good art really moves you when you can look at it and you don't know anything about the person who's made it and what their message is what their story is but there is ways where you can lock into it through knowing all these kind of binary sort of uh roots into the practice there I think go. it's I also the important. Word practice. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also important just to feel like you can ask questions because I think for the first few years of me going to galleries, I felt that you couldn't ask anyone anything, and I take home the press release or exhibition notes, as some people call it, and and I would be like even more confused because it would be a poem, and I didn't know what that poem meant. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like it it can be so yeah. sort of obtuse, and I think it's important just to be able to say to somebody what is this about? Like, and just to have that conversation, whether that be with the person on the front desk. And if that person doesn't have that knowledge, try and get someone to come out, you know, and from, you know, higher up in the gallery or whatever, um, to have that conversation. I would say one of the, I would say the perks of, of what we've been through the pandemic and everything is the way galleries have engaged with online mm. that you can go to exhibitions you can literally walk through an exhibition online and stuff it's amazing yeah. go to the, you can go to the the art fairs online do you think it's changed the art scene forever do you, are, are we i mean it's great that galleries are going to be reopened and we'll go back in there and we'll engage with things but do you think it's changed everything going forward ah uh, i th- well i think in general everything's changed because of like zoom you know, you think if this all happened 10 years ago, we would have been fucked, really, because how would we have communicated? There's no FaceTime as much. That You know what I mean? There wouldn't have been Zoom. Everything would have fallen apart more. I think I think the fact that you can experience art, I think Instagram has definitely changed the art world fundamentally. That's That's altered it completely forever. But the fact that you can experience art from the other side of the world now, from the comfort of your own home, is incredible because that means that you are able to experience so many other people's stories, so many other sections of culture uh, just sat at home. That's magic. I think it is going to change it, but I don't think it's going to do away with museums and exhibitions because there is nothing like seeing art in the flesh. There is only so many times you can look at an image, look at a JPEG and a PDF, but when you see it in the flesh, it's like I had the most amazing experience when I saw a painting called Nightfish and Antibes by Picasso, and it's the same size as Guernica. It's not as famous as the Guernica, but it's this huge and it's all in colour, unlike Guernica, which is black and white. Painted in 1939, just before the war broke out, and there's this kind of looming darkness on the distance, but in the in the actual scene is these fishermen, and it's all really brightly coloured, and there's these two girls on bikes, like eating ice cream, and it's a beautiful painting, but I'd only ever seen it in pictures, in, in books. And then when you see it in the flesh, it, it, it was one of the ones where you're like, you can't describe this painting the feeling I'm getting right now from looking in the book, that you have to see this in person. So that feeling of what art is will not change. Yeah, and I think I think this whole lockdown period has really changed things for certain types of art. So like digital art and this whole like NFT thing, which I'm still oh, yeah. trying to get my head around. I mean, we did an episode about that and I still kind of don't 
get it really but um but there there is this whole advancement in in that realm because for years there's been people with websites trying to promote digital art by leading artists as well like films and no one really got it or understood why mm. and i think people are definitely engaging with that type of art differently for the first time and i think it's actually almost been elevated to being taken seriously mm. and it's not just like a kind of sideshow it's actually like can have intention that's meaningful but the other problem i really think is that a lot of those online exhibitions aren't that great like a, a lot of the ones i've seen at commercial galleries are just so boring it's just like a website it is no different and people are calling them these ovrs like online viewing room and that's become this kind of new fancy term for like posh galleries but actually you go to them and you're like hang on isn't this just a website it's got like a video occasionally and then pictures and the dimensions but it's like they already had a website it's no different i think there's one exhibition that i saw which was um matthew mark's gallery in new york and rebecca warren is a sculptor and her presentation was extraordinary online and it was the simplest one i've seen it wasn't flashy it just you just scrolled down and it with the photographs was so beautifully done that you got a sense of what it was like to be in that space mm-hmm. but the reason that worked was because it made me feel like i was in that space which essentially is like viewing the exhibition so i think you know the importance of seeing art you you can't beat it I love that Robert flying the flag for the physical gallery. Yes. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, guys, are there any other areas of the book you want to talk about? Yeah, any other thing I really am proud about in the book is at the beginning of each chapter, we got some of our favorite artists to actually create new artworks. So the numbering, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, they've all been done by different artists. And we've we've got some amazing artists like Cause, who's one of the world's leading kind of artist now he's a giant of popular culture kind of outside the art world i'd never seen that hong kong installation until oh, wow. i saw the I picture know. in here it's a, <laughs> i loved that yeah Foot and he did a little cartoon for us of like two characters which i think are meant to be like me and russ chatting which is just wild you know he's one of the biggest oh. artists in the world and for him to do that for us was like so sweet and then like salman tour and we've got all these different artists like um john key and um anna benaroya shawanda corbett you know, amazing artists that have contributed these unique works to the book so it, it has been a real kind of passion project for us to bring this book together but also we've had so much amazing support and people really rallying to kind of get behind us because we've asked for loads of images from people and, you know, it's such a a gift that so many people have contributed towards this book. So, yes, it's our book, but it comes from basically everyone who who's given us time to and it was a real it. labor of love like literally we we wrote the book on our own and then we found all the images basically on our own you know what i mean like we had to like do the whole thing and it was a massive project like way bigger than i ever imagined and i never even thought i wanted to write a book so it was this crazy crazy experience really and one of the amazing things right at the end we have a, a fan in brazil who listens to every episode since day one called tato olive and he did a painting of us with um, elton john um with uh, russell's dog and we actually included it at the back because almost every episode we do he will make a unique painting linked mm. to that episode mm. and he's an amazing kind of illustrator and cartoonist and it was really nice to include him in the book and then on the first page we actually have tracy emin she hand wrote um in her amazing iconic writing um the word talk art and if you take the front cover kind of jacket off it's actually hidden under there it's like it's a there. little surprise yeah. but that, that was really sweet to have her but kind there's of loads of, i mean there's loads well. of things like that in the book and i think it's one of these books that you can even i flicking through it now i'm like oh yeah i forgot about that oh yeah look at that there's so much there's so many layers to it and elements that you can pick it up and put it down and enjoy it at various moments really and and, and we try to make it not pretentious in the sense that it's a softback immediately. So there's no hardback it's, and it's also more affordable. So the idea is it's a bit like something you can carry around with you and it's not precious. And it's got this kind of element of a handbook or a notebook in notebook, itself yeah. in the way we've designed it. So I'm really proud of it. I just yeah. hope everyone likes it. And also it goes back to what you were saying about personality. You know, it's very clearly the two of you have written this book. It's yeah. not just a dry tome about, you know, the contemporary art scene at the moment. It's, the two of you and what you know who you're looking at it's it's very much through your lens Absolutely. and that's great and we felt the pressure of art history when they when the publisher said to us we want you to write a talk art book it was like well how do we do that we have to include everything don't we how the responsibility to that and it's like well we're not we're not academics with this we're not experts we're just geeks and we just love art and they were like well then embrace that and write a book about what it is right now make it really contemporary about what you love 
So we went, okay, all right. So that released the shackles of art history. And we were like, well, let's just look forward, look, look around us and what we're talking to and what inspires us. And that's what's gone into this book. For us, this is everything that we're kind of looking at and enjoying in the world right now. And also, it was so easy to do. We never argued or anything. And like, we, we both added bits to each other's chapters. So we would like, one of us would write one chapter, I'd write another, he'd write another chapter, whatever. And then we'd read them back and we'd be like, oh, I think you missed this out. And we'd just write it ourselves and add it in. Mm -mm. And I think that's really odd. Like, the more I think about it, it's like two people have written this book and it's quite strange because I don't think that's that ordinary. But I think we have this this kind of camaraderie and we interviewed um, Gilbert and George the other day and they described themselves as one artist. And we suddenly realised we're like, we're one interviewer. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, but congratulations. It's, it's really, it's a, a, a lovely thing. And as I say, you can absolutely see it just sort of popping on those, um, those gallery bookshop tables. It'll, it'll be selling its droves. Droves. So. Well, thank you so oh, thank much you. for interviewing us, Graham. Oh, and also the other thing I would say, that if you're listening, uh, those odd noises, that's not my stomach. There is a crying dog outside my little, <laughs> oh my outside my little uh, soundproof booth there's, oh. a, there's a dog thinking where, where, where's food where's walks so, uh, yeah. do you get called uh, Graham a lot now because I've known I've been in America and you know in the UK we call people called Graham Graham but whereas in America it's always like Graham Graham are you used Graham. to that now being called that on Drag Race yes RuPaul just says Graham the whole time <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it he's RuPaul yeah, <laughs> got me exactly. what he likes exactly. and actually we've got an amazing forward in the book I forgot to mention that but Jerry Saltz who's one of the world's leading art critics and he's an American and he wrote a really beautiful beautiful forward mm-hmm. in our book so it's very international mm. yeah and the good thing is because you haven't packed everything in there's room for talk art the book the sequel so <laughs> smart Watch thinking. This space. Smart thinking. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. that coming from you as well, that you're a published author yourself. So yeah, rainbow colours. There'll be a different yeah. Oh yeah. Be nice. Uh, well, congratulations. It is gorgeous. Talk art, everything you wanted to know about contemporary art, but we're afraid to ask. In shops now, doubtless. Boys, uh, go have a nice night and uh, thank you very much for the book. Thank you for doing that. Congratulations. All right. Cheers. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com